these annoying masks. It's part of loving our neighbors. And I commend you for this whole setup here. It's just uh, really encouraging, really encouraging. So uh, I know a lot of you from the good old days. A few of you, uh, the half of your face I can see, I don't recognize. My name's George. I have uh, some history with this place. Uh, I was a pastor here back uh, about the time they invented electricity. And uh, I'm still praising God for giving me those years. And uh, you as a church, as a community, taught me so much. You helped me in so many ways to grow up in the Lord and learn what the church is about. So my heart is still full of thanks. And uh, as of today, I'm still uh, a part of the community because I'm uh, a missionary that you are supporting in East Africa, although right now I'm kind of grounded, so I can't go anywhere, um, but uh, through the, yeah, I guess you, it's not a miracle, but through the grace of technology, I'm still able to be engaged with my African friends I'm teaching a class online with a bunch of Nigerians. By the way, pray for them. Uh, you know, it's an internet-based class, and some of these guys just getting on the internet is a really big challenge. Um, so it's, it's been uh, slow going at the beginning, but I think it's working. Others of them have had to drop the course. You know, this is one of those excuses you just hear all the time from students, right, teachers? They said, you know, there's... Uh, Fulani herders terrorizing our villages. Can you believe that? They're not doing their homework because they're being terrorized by another tribe. So it's a hard place. But they're amazing people. The two pictures on the screen, a lot of you recognize, and I just want to pass their greetings to you. Told them I was going to be here, and they said, oh, you have to thank our friends at Trinity. Uh, you recognize on the, let's see, how's this going to work? You're looking this way. So it'll be this left. Um, that's uh, Kyoko Mwangangi, and he's a pastor in uh, rural Kenya. And you have just blessed him, Trinity family, with a very large gift to help him sponsor students uh, because he has this amazing program helping young people who would never be able to go to school and uh, they're members of his larger congregation. He's very engaged with young people. And so you're allowing some Kenyans to go to school. The other couple, that's Dominic and Rejoice Oluru in Juba. That's South Sudan. And uh, just keep praying for them. The conditions there are still very, very difficult. And then you layer coronavirus on top of that and... Uh, I don't know how they keep going, but they do. So thanks for your participation in their lives and in their ministries. Um, you have a global impact, Trinity Baptist Church of Nashua, and I bless you for that. So about, uh, it might be five minutes ago now, I didn't really check the clock, but about five minutes ago, something huge really huge and life-changing happened. 
Right? Am I right? Some of you aren't sure what I'm talking about. But, but you were there. I mean, you were there. I didn't see any of you, you know, just sneak in now. You were there. Do you know what? I have to stay behind this screen. <laughs> Do you know what you got yourself into? You just ratified again an eternal covenant. Now, your little plastic cup didn't look as cool as this one. But part of communion, right? Jesus says, this cup represents the new covenant. And I saw, well, I wasn't staring at all of you because I was, you know, in my own little zone there. But a lot of you, you took the little plastic thing and you fussed at getting the top off. You drank it down. And that was your faith saying, yes, yes, I'm in. Do you know all that was going on when you do communion? It's a, it's a covenanting moment. What's even more important, by the way, than what we do, which is not unimportant, but what's more important is that when Jesus says, here, this cup for you, new covenant in my blood. When Jesus offers you this through the leaders of the church, Jesus is making a promise. Now, that's really good, because my faith, well, you know, up and down. God's promise, absolutely solid. So the next time you are offered this little cup, just remember, you're signing on to something that's a really, really big deal. What are the terms of the new covenant? You know, when you get into a, a covenanting kind of experience, there have to be some uh, points of reference, some aspects to it. So, you know, this new covenant was promised centuries before Jesus stood at the Last Supper. Way back in the Old Testament, through Jeremiah, the prophet, Jeremiah said, God's going to do a new thing. In uh, Jeremiah 31, you read this. The days are coming, declares the Lord. Again, this is Yahweh, the God of the Hebrew people, speaking through his prophet Jeremiah. And God says, I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. So that's what you're studying now with Pastor Sean, is God's grace in liberating his people. After the exodus, they enter a covenant, don't they? But since most of you have read parts of the Old Testament, you know that things didn't go well. They're up and down and in and out. God was faithful. The terms of the covenant were secure, but the people were broken. But God says this is going to be different. He says the reason I need a new covenant is because they broke the old one. They broke my covenant, though I was like a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now, verse 33, Jeremiah 31. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, which just means somewhere in the future. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. Oh, that is such good news. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord. Because they will all know me. The least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Do you see that part of the terms of the new covenant that you just bought into is God's grace putting the truth about God right inside you. That's pretty amazing, huh? And then the last phrase of this promise, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Ezekiel, by the way, speaks of the same thing, that other Old Testament prophet. He says, I will give you a new heart. That's what God's promising. He's going to change the inside. I will put my spirit in you. So when you say yes, drinking the covenant cup, when your faith says, oh God, I'm committed, I believe you, God promises in response the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So God made this promise centuries before Jesus' time. At his last supper, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He says, Remember what Jeremiah said? Remember the promise? It's on. Now. Jesus says, My blood is the sacrifice that implements this new covenant. Wow. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so... You drank it, we drank it together, and by faith, we accept the promises of God. And God's promises are, (laughs) they're just amazing, aren't they? We sang some of them. There's a great statement that Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen that we speak is our response that says, yeah, God, bring it. And then verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 1. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. We are so secure in God. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You feeling secure? You should. Although, reality says, uh... George, I don't know where you live, man, but uh, we got a pandemic going on. My business is probably closing. The kids are at home. They've been home for months. 
I'm feeling like I got a little fever. If you're feeling that, by the way, you shouldn't be here. And now we got an election coming up, which is going to be just downright ugly. What relevance can this ancient covenant have for the mess we're in today? We should think about that, shouldn't we? There's an article here I have from the uh, from New York Times by a psychiatrist, Richard Friedman. He says, there's been a lot of talk recently about how the coronavirus pandemic has unleashed a mental health epidemic, depression and anxiety. Some of you are feeling that, or not you, you know somebody who's really struggling. The pandemic, he says, has amped up our stress levels, and he says that's really true. Well, there's a medical professional saying that. Uh, There have been a few highly publicized surveys showing the levels of general psychological distress are on the rise. I guess this isn't really news, is it? (laughs) We're all kind of feeling some of that. He, by the way, talks in this article about uh, boredom. He says, you know, that's not really a mental health um, disease like... Uh, depression. You know, depression is a serious illness in many people's lives, but he says, so this isn't about depression, but it's boredom, and it can get us into trouble. Cooped up in our homes and apartments, we've been stripped of our everyday routine and structure. Without distractions, we're left feeling understimulated. The state of restless desire to do something, anything, but we have no way to achieve that goal. Well, does the new covenant make any difference? Can it help us survive corona, maybe losing our jobs? All the confusion around the kids as the school year starts up? I mean, what do we cling to at this point? Well, I'm going to try to connect those dots by um, asking you to think with me about a text from the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8 is uh, just such a great text. And um, starting at verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, Paul asks and answers four really, really big questions. The kind of questions that, you know, can definitely keep you up at night. Um, First question is, what do we say in response to these things? I'll tell you what these things are in a minute. Then the second question is, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And then the third question is, who's the one who's going to condemn? And the fourth question is, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So I want to think about those four questions for the next few minutes, and I want you especially to listen to the answers that Paul provides, because this is what's going to get us through the chaos, the depression, the boredom, the legitimate fears of crisis that we find ourselves in. 
First question, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? Now, um, when Paul is talking about these things, he's talking about what he's just been writing in Romans. And it would take me a really long time to summarize Romans, so you'll be relieved to know I won't try. But essentially, you know, Romans talks about the mess, the predicament, the brokenness of life and what God has done to intervene and rescue us in Christ. So it's a panoramic view of reality in the first eight chapters of Romans. And so Paul gets to this point and he says, all right, this is the big human story. This is life on earth. This is God's response. What do we say? It's, just, it's a pause to reflect kind of moment in verse 31. And verse 31, actually, Paul gives two answers to that first question. Strangely enough, the two answers are actually questions. Now, Paul's not being evasive. He's not, you know, trying to turn a question around by asking a question. It's not a game he's playing. The reason he puts it in the form of questions is he wants you and me to just stop and really do some hard thinking. So, what do we say in response? Answer, if God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that. Stop for a moment. Dwell on that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And if you live with that for a while, it's amazing. Let, let me tell you something about this God who is for us. You know, because that's not just an empty uh, verb, a verbal symbol there. God, that, that, this God is real, and he shows himself. And I'm gonna, I just got to read you one of my all-time favorite texts. Isaiah chapter 40. If you wonder who this God is, who is for you, listen to this. This is so cool. I'm going to pick up, uh, whole chapter is pretty cool, but that would be too much for us, since we can't swallow all that. Let's start at verse 21, Isaiah 40, 21. Just, I mean, just let this vision of God roll over you. you. You know, you don't have to study. You can read with me if you want, but just let it get inside. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? In other words, this, this, this isn't something somebody just made up. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. The God who's for you is big. He's big. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. By the way, these are some great verses for the election season. <laughs> Oh, God, he, <laughs> he brings princes to naught 
reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like the chaff. (laughs) Now that doesn't mean you don't vote. Just puts our presidential election and our so-called presidential power in perspective, doesn't it? To whom will you compare me, says God? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. You need to do that, by the way, periodically on a clear night as a spiritual exercise. Lift up your eyes. Who created all these? Get away from the city where you can really see the stars. Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Wow. By the way, that means those guys that uh, advertise at Christmas and say, name a star after your loved ones. Uh, uh, uh. Stars already have names. They're in another registry somewhere. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. See, the Israelites were whiners, which is why I identify so closely with them. (laughs) Bit of a whiner myself. Why would we think our way is hidden from God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. Think about us old guys. (laughs) Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I said there's a second answer to that first question. What do we say? And the second answer (laughs) is a showstopper. Second answer is in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, God has already shown us. He's demonstrated his love. He's given the ultimate gift in Christ. Is he going to back out of the deal now? The answer, of course, is obviously not. Look at what he's done. There's a line in one of the old hymns that uh, captures this thought. What more can he say than to you he hath said? You look at Jesus. You come to the communion table. Why would we doubt God's commitment? Now, the second question, verse 33, is 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Now, this is about that nagging sense of inadequacy and guilt and just condemnation that some of us carry around. The answer here is real simple. It is God who justifies. In other words, there's no condemnation that can be brought against you in Christ. God has spoken. God has given a verdict. Through Christ, there is no condemnation. Earlier in Romans, Paul has written, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, don't listen to that voice. Don't get down on you when you screw up. We do. We're justified. Sometimes we sin big sins. The work of Christ is more than sufficient. Yeah. Amen indeed. Should be on our feet cheering. Question number three is verse 34. It's very similar. Who's the one who condemns? And again, apparently this is a recurring problem. <laughs> of course, Satan is... Uh, referred to in Scripture as the accuser of the saints. So one of his favorite tactics is to plant in our mind noises, voices that remind us, remind George that he's a pretty screwed up guy. Hmm. I can't buy that. I can't listen to that. Why? The answer is found here in 34. Because of Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. If there is condemnation swirling around in our minds, if we just are, are plagued by a sense of guilt, we're not paying attention to Jesus. Because he's there and he's with us. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's praying for us. There's an old hymn. I think it's uh, called Before the Throne of God Above, but it has this uh, line in it that was in my mind. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Hallelujah. I got to read you something that I read to myself mm, on average twice a week. It's just stuck there where I see it all the time. We're not permitted to nurse a sense of guilt. Don't play with that poison. We must fully and completely accept and embrace God's forgiveness and love. Guilt feelings and inferiority feelings before God are an expression of selfishness. We think we're being humble and honest, 
but we're focused on ourselves, self-centeredness. We give greater importance to our little sinful self than to his immense and never-ending love. We must surrender our guilt and inferiority to him. His goodness is greater than our badness. Let that one sink in. We must accept his joy in loving and forgiving us. It's a healing grace to surrender our sinfulness to his mercy. Who then is the one who condemns? No way. Christ Jesus is there. His resurrection is the guarantee. The final question, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or COVID virus or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We often struggle with the feeling we're cut off from God's love or like we've just made him mad one too many times and God says, okay, nope, that's it. I'm just so tired of you. We're done. Do you ever think of God as doing that to you? You do the same old nasty thing one more time. God's never going to do that. Nothing, nothing can separate us. In all these things, the answer is we're more than conquerors because we're in Christ. Well, are you struggling with uh, pandemic anxiety? Boredom, depression, economic stress because of the precarious nature of your job or the fact that it's gone? Opening of school got you freaked out? Because <laughs> one day it feels like you're going, one day it feels like you're online, da-da-da. That's stressful stuff. Jesus says, this is the new covenant. I'm fully committed to you. My love surrounds you and fills you. You are secure. Drink this in faith, which you did. Just a you know, practical idea, you know, why don't you print out these four questions <laughs> if you do that sort of thing? Write them out. And then just stick them up somewhere, <laughs> like on your bathroom mirror. So when you wake up in the morning, you ask the question, so what do we say? Another day, another pandemic moment. And you hear the answer again from Scripture. God is for you. Who can be against you? So I, I'd say live with these. Find some way to constantly, constantly let these great answers, not so much the questions, but let them, let them get in your mind. 
The other thing I just encourage is that you uh, plant a, a really strong song in your mind. You know, advertisers know how powerful songs are, which is why they bombard you with little songs and they get stuck in your mind. You can't get them out. Well, you can counteract that by planting songs that tell the truth about God in your mind. And just hum it all day. Sing it under your breath. If you're stuck at home, you can, you know, mute yourself on Zoom and sing it while you're on a business call or something. I don't know what's in your mind, but I, I, you know what's in mine? Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Wrong key. But you get the idea. Great is thy faithfulness. I just want to be, I want to be singing that while I'm stuck in traffic, you know? I'll be singing it in the shower. So I commend simple little actions to you as a way of counteracting all the rubbish that can float around in the mind. Jesus, well, it was in the Old Testament, but it's Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit say this. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we bless you for your great faithfulness. Thank you for coming to us with a covenant promise. Thank you for Jesus who was willing to give up his life so that we could participate in your covenant of grace and know salvation and know your presence and know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and stand firm in strange and crazy days. Thank you, God, for being for us. So who can be against us? Holy Spirit, grant us new courage, new hope, and a deep, solid conviction that you are a promise-keeping God. And we know you are because you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for us. So how will you not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's see, I'm told, and you probably know the drill better than I, but uh, you're invited to exit that way.